everybody. Greetings from the beautiful Goodspeed Company Housing. My name is Dan Pardo, and this is Pardo's Turn, my ongoing web series and podcast for lovers and nerds of the musical theater. Here with me today is the legendary Karen Mason, seen on stage in the original casts of Mamma Mia, Wonderland, and The World Goes Round, and was in the closing company for Hairspray on Broadway. She toured the country in Love Never Dies and A Christmas Story, has been seen in a million readings, but perhaps is best known in the context of her cabaret career, which was recognized this year with the Mac Lifetime Achievement Award. Today we are going to present one of her cabaret mashups, combining Now I Have Everything from Fiddler on the Roof with Married from Cabaret, arranged by her longtime friend and collaborator, Brian Lasser. Our conversation ran a little long, so let's jump right into it. Hi! Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for coming on. We have in our midst a recent Mac Lifetime Award winner. This is the Manhattan Association of Cabaret. Why don't we kind of start off about your cabaret career, because you have an interesting duality between stage roles and uh, cabaret venues. Is this something that you always kind of did in tandem, or what was your uh, foray into the cabaret scene? Well, I started out wanting theater. I lived outside of Chicago and was doing community theater, yeah. but I didn't know how to get close to the people who were getting paid for it in Chicago. So my sister gave me this flyer for a restaurant in Chicago called Lawrence of Oregano. Yes, Lawrence of Oregano. Is it still uh, open to you? No, it's okay. still open. <laughs> but they had, uh, were having auditions for singing waiters and waitresses. Sure. I was so nervous, mm -hmm. so nervous to do this. Sure. but. It turns out that this audition actually totally changed my life wow. because I met Brian Lasser, who was the music director there, and he and I worked together for 16 years. Well, I think that answers a lot of our questions because a lot of times it is that music director uh, performer relationship that, like, how can we work together? Let's put on the show, let's do a right. cabaret. Right. So, regardless of your individual pursuits as far as uh, regular stage roles or you know, pit roles, you know, it gives you an opportunity to work together. Absolutely, and make music. So the, the mashup that we're presenting today is one of his arrangements. Yes, from um, like the mid-80s. He was a brilliant writer and an arranger. You know, he could create an arrangement that totally suited me, but it was really, I was just kind of his mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, I, I will say that it's really great to arrange for the same people or the same groups of people sure. because you get to not only know what they can do technically, but who they are emotionally and uh, personally. And I think it really rings true for an audience. And it certainly did for your collaboration with Brian. With, with the arrangement that we did of uh, Married and um, Now I Have Everything, I think that's what's really amazing the power of those two things together of a new uh, voicing of an arrangement is that you know it doesn't have to be so out there and different but that it gives you a new pathway into understanding something new about it yeah and they, they work beautifully together the the theme of marriage which you've now experienced for almost 30 <laughs> years yes you know it can change like that I, I like the fact that both um, shows that these songs are kind of taken from have this veil of uh, oppression and uh, you know they're both Jewish stories. Right, the instability of it, mm -hmm. you know, I mean these are both highly unstable conditions mm -hmm. and finding something that um, you know is real in all of that is really amazing. Thank 
my gosh. Yeah, oh, we were exhausted. But we got a chance to fail. We're having half price, mm -hmm. you know, you'll be in the back room. You can bring people in, we'll give you these dates to do. Sure. It's like, okay, fine. You know, if you don't, aren't charging me to play the room. Right, right, right. And unfortunately, now the dynamic of cabaret has changed so much that it's, it's a much more expensive thing to fail mm -hmm. um, and to work things out and to try. Now, some of your early off-Broadway roles date to the what, early 80s, is that right? Um, yeah. So obviously you moved to New York at some point. Uh, 78, 79. Okay. Did uh, Brian make the, the trip along with you? Or? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In fact, he, I probably would not have made it if it had not been for him. I, mm -hmm. I was always a little bit more um, fearful than he. He was fearless. He just, you know, and he had friends everywhere. Yeah. And so we did it together, and we had our first job at a place called The Ballroom, which used to be down in Soho. Mm -hmm. We got a great review, luckily, and uh, thought, let's just move here. Oh, so the show was before you formally made the... Yes. Great. We were testing the water. <laughs> and then we got here, and we got to do one night a week at the duplex, which sure. was at 55 Grove. Not. It's the new duplex is farther east. Oh, so when you go to the duplex now and it shows all the famous people on the wall, they weren't actually in that venue in that building? <laughs> no, uh-uh. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, World Goes Round, because that's such, like, <laughs> everyone who is everyone was involved with that production. I loved meeting my heroes. Oh, they sure. were my musical heroes. You know, somebody who's really needy and a belter, <laughs> it was a perfect combination. Oh, yeah. Working with Scott and, and Susan mm -hmm. was, and David, you know, incredible. To see how it all came together was truly amazing, but it killed me <laughs> because I had never roller skated in front mm -hmm. of anyone before, played a banjo, <laughs> uh, or... You got uh, all your special skills. I, I, they are now off the bottom of my <laughs> resume. On opening night with the, the skates, it was me and then Bob Cuccioli was on the end. And I hate to say it, Bob, okay. I'm letting it out in public, a worse roller skater than I was. So putting us together, you had Karen Ziemba yeah. and Jimmy Walton, and they were great dancers, <laughs> skaters. They were over there. That was a good sight. Uh -huh. Over here, not so much. And so we're getting, you know, we're doing the I want to go around on the balls of the skates, the stoppers, uh -huh. and we're doing a kick line. And all of a sudden, I feel Bob kind of like getting a little losing grip. And I thought, oh, Lord, this is not going to be good. You see, when he came on part of his term before, he did not tell me this story. <laughs> and so he went back, I went back on mine, and I went, Boom! This is opening Slight night. Opening night, and my good friend Jimmy Walton. <laughs> at the time, there was that that uh, commercial for you know help I've fallen and I yes. can't get up. Yes. I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah. So my good friend Jimmy Walton, I'm lying there like this, kind of stunned, uh -huh. and all of a sudden he said, "Help! I've fallen and I can't get up." And everybody relaxed after that, of course. And Scott Ellis came up to me and said, You know, you think you could do that eight times a week? <laughs> no. no. But to sing that glorious music, and I met my husband during that.
times. Right. Yeah, I know. So you've had the opportunity to originate several roles. One was Wonderland, where you were the Queen of Hearts. Yeah. Like many other um, Frank Wildhorn <laughs> shows that had a long development. Um, yeah. Uh, lots of out-of-town tryouts. What was that process like? What I learned during that process was how to fight for myself um, without fighting. They didn't know what to do with the song off their heads mm -hmm. um, early on. This was like um, it, in Tampa when mm -hmm. we were first there. Now it was written. That song that we hear now is written was written for me. Ron Melrose was the MD and the arranger. We get to the Sitch Probe, and they really weren't sure what to do with it. And I hear they went from the number before mine to the number after. And I'm already feeling a little unsure about what's gonna happen because of all the changes. They kept rewriting and, and you know, I get these notes, just be funnier. What? <laughs> and after I went to my dressing room and wept, I said, how about we do this? How about if I come out and just go, off with their heads? It's the least I can do. And then the song starts, and he goes, okay, that might work. <laughs> I, I thought, well, that was easy. <laughs> it's important for especially younger actors to know that you have power in situations and to assert yourself, because otherwise, you know, you wouldn't have had that opportunity. Perhaps. Right. You know, hopefully, directors feel collaborative, mm -hmm. and, you know, FYI, killed every night. <laughs> so, you know, it opened the second act. It was just silly and wonderful. And then when we got to Broadway, they totally changed it. So there you gotcha. have it. How did a role like that, which was based on this iconic literary character, differ from, say, the role that you just played, uh, which was this kind of real-life MGM executive in this uh, Broadway-bound Chasing Rainbows? <laughs> Well, Wonderland had better costumes <laughs> for me. Yeah, playing her, I mean, you could be as crazy as you wanted to be. Uh -huh. You know, that that's the great gift of a, a role like the Queen of Hearts. Mm -hmm. Doing um, Kate Hoverman was uh, really wonderful because uh, nobody really knows a lot about her. Sure. But, except for some of the historical things. I mean, she was powerful. She was the one who was responsible for getting Judy Garland in front of Mayer. But she got her way, and I had a fantastic song that I think really, you know, was one of the, I mean, I loved it. It was a very interesting um, arrangement of, of an old song. When you're doing a, a song in the cabaret context, how is that different from performing the same song in a given show? In a cabaret, I get to sing it from me, yeah. um, and you know, so I have to find how I connect to it mm -hmm. uh, personally. Doing a character, it's I'm touching that same moment, but I'm having to relate it through somebody else's life experiences. Sure. I know it's it always confused me. I thought, what the hell does that mean? No, it's, it's a subtle difference, and I'm sure in, in many cases the, the performances are similar, but... Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, I always thought it has to be some veil of secrecy, yeah. you know, when you're playing a role, but it's, it's just finding triggers for yourself. 
my combination of triggers is going to be different from Kay Coburn's. So we're almost at 20 years out from when Mamma Mia uh, first came <laughs> to be. Uh, we have original cast member Tanya, right? Tanya, the party girl. Jukebox musicals have been around you know, forever, uh, but I think between Mamma Mia and Jersey Boys, it really cemented that kind of recipe, that viability for, um, for Broadway offerings. Do you have any thoughts looking back uh, what the experience was like, what the legacy of Mamma Mia has become? We knew it was a phenomenon mm -hmm. coming in because it had run for a while and toured and done everything else. But then 9-11 happened mm -hmm. right during our rehearsals. And that kind of impacted it in a very, in so many different ways, you know, it made it m more um, important yeah. when we started, when we opened. I think there was an overwhelming uh, joy with each other. I hate to, you know, overstate uh, how important it was, but, no, but it's absolutely I true. think it gave people a chance to not think about what was happening outside those walls. Every Broadway show was doing that. I heard the, the very similar thing to the folks over right here in town. You know, yeah. they, they needed to be allowed to laugh again. You know, you, you guys needed to make people dance again and, and right. smile again. I mean, when you would see you know, you'd get outside of the theater mm -hmm. and you'd see the candles and the pictures and, you know, all these loving gestures. But then you get to that mega mix at the end and we're all wearing white spandex <laughs> and it was like... <sighs> the energy that came sure. from the audience was... It was, I mean, it was a rush that Judy Kay said, I think this must be how rock stars feel. <laughs> what was smart about Mamma Mia? was that the story was human. Yeah. With the uh, kind of pop rock shows that use, you know, someone's catalog as the as the songbook, so to speak, there's always, you know, the question of how are the songs going to function. I find that Mamma Mia is very traditional in its use of songs. Yeah, you know, isn't that funny? You know, one of the reasons why, you know, a show like Mamma Mia, you know, is so lasting is because it really um, up the game in terms of how to, to craft these shows, Absolutely. Um, how to tell a story using these songs. Uh, well, this conversation has just been so wonderful. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Thank you. Um, is there a place to reach you, a website, an Instagram handle? Uh, sure, I got it all. Do I use it? No. www.karenmason.com. You can reach me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I uh, am at Karen Mason Diva, at Karen mm -hmm. Mason Diva. I will link all those below. Thanks again, Karen. This is great. Oh, thank you. This has been fabulous. Thanks, Dan. Right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> now you're dancing off. That's right. Go ahead. <laughs> Come on, babe. Why don't we paint the town? I'm going to rouge my knees and roll my stockings down.